Hey everyone, it's Eves. Just wanted to let you know that you'll be hearing an episode from me and an episode from Tracy V. Wilson today. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to this day in history class from HowStuffWorks.com and from the desk of Stuff You Missed in History Class. It's the show where we explore the past one day at a time with a quick look at what happened today in history. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy V. Wilson and it's October 26th. The shootout at the OK Corral happened on this day in 1881 in Tombstone, Arizona. Tombstone in the 1880s was a boomtown, thanks to the discovery of silver there in 1879. The name reportedly came from a warning. The only thing you're going to find in those hills is your own tombstone. People didn't, I mean, people did find their own tombstone, but they also did find silver. With this silver discovery, the population of Tombstone grew to about 7,000 people in the span of two years, up from basically 100 people before that. And as was true of so many other boom towns, Tombstone had a reputation for lawlessness. There were lots of saloons and brothels and lots of fighting and lots of people rustling one another's livestock. The Earp family were part of the law, such as it was in Tombstone. Wyatt Earp, who had been a police officer in Kansas, worked security as, at a saloon, and he was also the deputy sheriff. His brothers, Virgil and Morgan, were stagecoach guards, and Virgil was also a deputy U.S. marshal. They all had a reputation for being pretty ruthless, and sometimes maybe being more focused on power than on actually enforcing some kind of law. And then on the other side of the equation were the cowboys. They were part of the town's criminal element. They included Ike and Billy Clinton and Tom and Frank McClory. They were all particularly notorious, and a lot of times they were grouped together as the clanton McClory gang. There was ongoing back and forth between the Earps representing the law and the clanton McClory gang representing the outlaws in the months leading up to this shootout. Some of this was the Earps as law enforcement hunting down the Clantons or the McClory's in conjunction with some kind of crime. Sometimes, though, it was the two sides really just trying to get the upper hand over the other one in general, because whoever had the most power was really going to control what happened in Tombstone. There was also some shady, under-the-table dealing going on between the two sides, either as a genuine effort by the Earps to get information from the Cowboys, or maybe as a covert effort by one side to set the other side up. Sometimes it's not really clear. Tangled up in all of this was Sheriff John Behan. Wyatt Earp had wanted to be sheriff. That was a position that was appointed. When he realized how much the governor favored Behan, he had pulled out of the race under the idea that Behan would then give him a lesser appointment of some sort, which did not pan out. The Earps also suspected at various points that Behan was in cahoots with the cowboys. All of this descended into violence in October of 1881. Both sides had been trading insults and death threats and sometimes fisticuffs over about 24 hours leading up to the shootout after Ike Clanton and Tom McClary came into Tombstone to buy some supplies. The Earps and their friend Doc Holliday saw the Clantons, the McLarens, and Billy Claiborne near Fremont Street in Tombstone that was near, but not inside of, the OK Corral. The sheriff told the Earps that these other men were on their way out of town, but the Earps were spoiling for a fight, and it is not clear who fired the first shot. And Ike Clanton and Wyatt Earp gave completely different versions in their testimony. But in the end, Billy Clanton and Tom and Frank McClory were all shot. Tom was killed immediately, and Billy and Frank died not long after. Virgil and Morgan Earp and Doc Holliday were all shot as well, but survived. The sheriff arrested the Earps and Doc Holliday, and they were all charged with murder. 
But the Justice of the Peace later found that that homicide was justified. You can learn more about all this in the September 14, 2009 episode of Stuff You Missed in History Class. And thanks to Tari Harrison for her audio work on this podcast. You can subscribe to This A Day in History Class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And you can tune in tomorrow for an executive order that led to massacres. Hey, I'm Eves, and you're listening to This Day in History Class, a podcast where we bring you a slice of history every day. The day was October 26, 1985. The Australian government gave the title deeds to the Uluru Kata Churtar National Park back to its Arnangu traditional owners. Arnangu homelands include areas in South Australia, Western Australia, and the Northern Territory. Uluru Kata Churtar National Park is located in the Northern Territory. It includes Uluru, a famous sandstone rock formation, as well as Kata Churtar, a group of domed rock formations. A British-born Australian explorer organized expeditions across Australia. He gave Kata Churtar the name Mount Olga in 1872. The next year, another explorer dubbed Uluru Ayers Rock after the Chief Secretary of South Australia, Henry Ayers. As more Europeans arrived in Australia and dispossessed Aboriginal people of their land, conflict grew between Arnangu and pastoralists. But in 1920, the land around Uluru and Kata Churtar was declared the Southwest Reserve as part of a larger system of reserves for Aboriginal people. But the rock formations had great potential as lucrative tourist attractions. In 1948, an access road to Uluru was constructed, and tours of the area began. Uluru became Ayers Rock National Park in 1950, and eight years later, Kata Churtar joined Uluru to become Ayers Rock Mount Olga National Park. The title to the park was vested in the director of the Australian National Parks and Wildlife Service. But in meetings organized by the Office of Aboriginal Affairs, the traditional owners of Uluru Katachurtar and the surrounding land made clear their opposition to pastoralism, mining, and tourism that harmed the land. Nevertheless, in 1977, the Commonwealth officially declared the area a national park under the National Parks and Wildlife Conservation Act 1975. The Australian National Parks and Wildlife Service paid the Conservation Commission of the Northern Territory to employ park rangers, and from 1978 to 1985, the Northern Territory government ran the park. But thanks to the efforts of Aboriginal people working to have their land rights recognized, the Australian Parliament passed the Aboriginal Land Rights Northern Territory Act in 1976. The law recognized the Aboriginal system of land ownership by traditional landowners and provided ways for Aboriginal people to own, control, and use the resources of their land. But to keep Ayers Rock, Mount Olga, a national park, it was excluded from the act. The Pitjan Jajara and Central Land Council opposed this exclusion and lobbied for an amendment to the act to allow a land claim to the Uluru Katachurtar land on behalf of the Arangu people. Many groups, including people in the tourism industry and pastoralists, opposed the claim to the Uluru Katachurtar land due to their own interest in the area and concern about how the Arnangu would manage it. 
The councils went back and forth with the Commonwealth and Northern Territory government. But in 1983, Australian Prime Minister Bob Hawke announced that the government would amend the Aboriginal Land Rights Act and give the title back to its Arnangu owners. The handback, as it's known, occurred in a ceremony on October 26, 1985. After they got the title, Arnangu representatives leased the park back to the director of the Australian National Parks and Wildlife Service, ensuring continued public access. The duration of the lease, per the agreement, is 99 years. The land is run under a system of joint management, with a board of management represented by a majority of Arnangu traditional owners. However, there is still tension over the public treatment of the site and opportunities provided for Anangu people. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you have any insight on an accent or a pronunciation spoken in the show today, feel free to send us a kind note on social media at Podcast. And you can send your thoughts or comments to us at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks again for listening and have a fantastic 24 hours until we see you again. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.